Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense. Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Wonderful to be with you today. God bless you. And we're going to spend some quality time in the Word of God. I first of all want to say thank you to a number of people that have given a gift or a tithe or an offering to the ministry. Um, Blessings to you, and you know who you are, and I want to respect you by Uh, knowing that your gift is being given to the Lord and that it is being used to take care of this radio station and to bless our lives. I want to say thank you for that. God bless you in Jesus' name. And hopefully people will be listening to this broadcast. And for those that have given by way of our donations tab on our ministry website, Again, hopefully you'll hear this Thanksgiving and the Lord bless you for your giving. Thank you so much. We're going to talk about money today. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? These are the end times. We're going to talk about money today, and we're going to talk about it from a biblical perspective without using the Word of God deceitfully or craftily. We want to present because the bottom line is money is in your life, You know, money is what you pay your bills with and your gasoline with and your insurance with and your house payment with and your food with. Uh, For the most part, money is a very big tool in our lives. People travel down the road. They go on vacations. They live their life. They buy, you know, they have their cell phones. Every bit of it for, I would imagine, everybody in this country is about money. And so money is a tool 
And we know that the love of money is the root of all evil. Therefore, it should be spoken of. But what about when it comes to ministries? We have seen through the years the perverse usage of finances. Some people would say there are ministries out there that they rake in over, you know, $90 million a year or $100 million a year. They have uh, all kinds of wealth and extravagance and, you know, mansions and jets and Rolls Royces and, uh, you know, those Rolex watches. And uh, it's a huge business. There's no doubt religion is. And I think people really, a lot of people that were feeding into the ministries, uh, obviously the people that were giving were giving of themselves. They were giving willfully to the ministries, but a lot of people got turned off by the extravagant wealth while people were suffering and people were not having their needs met or whatever the case was. Uh, And then a little investigation, we find out that a lot of those uh, ministries, the mega ministries, where they're raking in the hundreds of millions of dollars every year, that they do good works in other places in the world by digging wells and feeding the hungry and all of those things. Uh, But the individuals are very extravagantly wealthy. And so people, when it came to money, they just thought, well, I don't want to talk about money. I don't want to hear about money. I don't want to look, I don't want to equate God with money. I don't want God to be sold on the marketplace and making other people rich and wealthy. And to that, we understand it fully. Uh, Give you a little perspective of where we come from in this ministry. Patricia and I have been pastoring full-time for 28 years. This October will be 29 years of full-time ministry. Neither one of us has ever received a paycheck. We have never been hired to do the work that we do. We have been preaching the gospel where we have been in places where one drunk man on a bench surrounded by pigeons heard the word of God in its totality as though it was being preached before 100,000 people. But Patricia and I have never received a paycheck for what we do. Our financial needs are met through the body of Christ as God puts in their heart to give their tithe and their offering. And we have always lived by the tithe and the offering. There were days, 25, 26, 27 years ago, where I used to paint houses and I used to wait tables. And in those days, um, I wound up giving, when I moved into the ministry, in the full-time aspect, I gave my painting business away and we have been serving this way. And for brief moments along the way, we'd paint a little house here or do a little bit over here and just to bring in some income. But that was the extent of it. And the last 28 years of my life and Patricia's life have been simply preaching the gospel, counseling in the lives of the people in our church. We've done some conference speaking across the country. We received a benefit by doing that. We spoke the word of God. It was never a prosperity gospel as much as warning people about the days that we're living in and preparing for the end times. So today, again, what I'd like to do is thank God for people that the Lord puts into their heart to sow into the ministry and to give. And 
we have never had a large church, and that was designed by God because our ministry from the beginning was designed to raise up the fivefold ministry. <clears throat> this is common uh, knowledge to those who are part of this ministry. It was never about building a mega church on a corner. <clears throat> it was always about preaching the word and equipping and preparing individuals to be raised up in the 1990s. We did exactly that. The people that had been raised up within the ministry, Patricia and I began a journey across the country from California to New Jersey, and everywhere we went, people were drawn to the ministry of deliverance, which Patricia was operating in very strongly. She had written her book, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. I was more in the prophetic, so we had this prophetic mantle with the deliverance ministry, and <clears throat> as we went, people uh, would be gravitating to us and doors of opportunity would open. And before you know it, in the early 1990s to the mid-1990s, we had six fully operational ecclesias, home fellowships from Jersey City, New Jersey, to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, to Virginia Beach, Virginia, to Jacksonville, Florida. We had in Southern California, in Arizona, Alabama, and we had work that was genuinely going on and it was amazing because we didn't prepare or plan any of it. <clears throat> we just went, and as we went, opportunities would arise. People would hear about our ministry. We would be in, a, in the RV, and somebody would come in and needing deliverance, and that opened a door that every day there were several people coming in for deliverance. We were invited to preach the Word of God in living rooms, and people would come, and then eventually they'd say, we want you to be our pastors. <clears throat> We want this to be our church. And, of course, we have our church in San Diego at the time. And so what we did was we brought those deacons and those elders and those ministers that had been raised up under the ministry, and we set them <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me, as functioning pastors over those home fellowships. And then once a year... Uh, when all those fellowships were now being set and the pastors were there and they were growing up their churches, they were independent, they were on their own, they had a base of operations, they had a covering, uh, they were an extension of our work, so there was communication. And so once a year, we would all gather together at the Founders Inn, uh, Pat Robertson's CBN, the Founders Inn, and we would come together in all the different churches and we had an amazing time. And it was usually during the Feast of Tabernacles that all the different churches came together, and things were going very well. Our work was severely tested around 1996, and there were some internal struggles, and there were things that were taking place. And because we had matured into knowing what, exactly what we were doing, it was just happening kind of organically, an outgrowth of home fellowships and home churches and people being set in positions, well, everybody began to experience their own, what it's like to be out there to raise up a congregation and to do it in a biblical fashion. So our work was tested in 1996, and eventually we came back to San Diego, and we, we, we were visiting those churches along the, along the way, and we came back and we regrouped. And that's what we've been doing since around 1997. And now we're in the year 2021, and it appears that through all of our travels and changes and 
you know, experiences and learning that we're now in a season where we're seeing once again the value of a home fellowship and the desire to start home fellowships again and to get out there. We have a RV that was purchased on our behalf for the purpose of starting home churches and to live in it when the time would come to do so. And that was just a blessing from the Lord. And so we are now in that area of, all right, Lord, we're willing to start churches anywhere in this country or in the world that you want that to happen, wherever the ministry that people are once again hearing and appreciating and gravitating to, uh, wherever they don't already have a church. We never want to build on another man's foundation. That has never been our heartbeat to go into other churches and pull people away. That is not about, it's not what it is. It has always been about individuals that were kind of wandering and they really didn't have a pastor. They didn't have a church they were connected to. Um, and we never thought that it was the right thing to do. If somebody was in a church, they had a pastor, but they were having problems to pull them out. That was never, ever our understanding of how it should work. So when we met people along the way, they were people that had been in drugs, alcohol, in prison. Uh, there are people that had been away from church. They didn't have a church. And all of a sudden, God did some amazing things. And um, it was a phenomenal time. Now, people did leave their churches and they, because they were dying in them. They were hearing things that were just not right. And they could not communicate with their pastors, so they did leave. And people just wanted more than what they had, and it wasn't being given to them. Other people said, well, we're not, we, we like what you're doing, but, you know, we're not getting fed, but we're, we're assigned to stay at our church to somehow influence things that were going on there. And we're like, okay, that's, you know, your, your call. So here we are. How have we done this for 28 solid years without a paycheck? How have Patricia and I been able to pastor? And by the way, I was under a pastoral anointing, really, genuinely, an apostolic anointing. I had a pastor over my life, R. Paul Carroll, the one and only pastor in my life, who served as a pastor, served as an apostle, never called himself one, had a prophetic mantle and gifting on his life as well. But his real ministry to people like me was this six foot three man would bow his knees, never get above our knees and serve people like me that were coming out of the world. And if you've heard my testimony, you know that that was a lot of work just for me. But there were several young men and women that were part of the church in San Diego where our pastors through the deliverance ministry, through the pastoral mantle, labored in our lives to bring us to a place where 10 months after my pastor passed away in 1991, the elders of the church ordained me to become the pastor of the church. Now, Patricia and I were married in October of, 2000, uh, uh, October of 1992, and when we were married, we hit the ground running, and we've never stopped. Since October 1992, October 18th, to be uh, just clear in this, October 18th, 1992, we were married. The moment we came out of our honeymoon, we were pastoring the church, and we have never stopped since that time. So how have we done this? How have we done it without using the word of God craftily, without being deceitful about finances, and yet understanding that 
everybody we had ever met at some point in their lives struggled with the financial crises or how are we going to pay the bills next month and what are we going to do? And what we found is we never had to manipulate the word of God. We never had to uh, compromise the word of God to have our needs met. We have been under a supernatural unction of God's spirit because we never felt that God's tithe and offering should get the first fruits to the government. We never believed that. We didn't believe that the tithe and the offering belonged to the governments of this world, that that was God's tithe, that was God's offering. According to the word of God, the tithe and the offering belonged to the ministers of the altar. So we have been living the last 28 years and some months of our lives through tithes and offerings. When people give a gift, it is a tithe, it is an offering, it is a gift or a giving directly to the work of God. And that is how Patricia and I have been able to live a very moderate life. Our needs have been met. There have been times where it's been very thin. It's been a financial struggle. How are we going to do this? God blessed me with a father-in-law that took care of a lot, at least half of all the needs for mortgages or rents on homes. Father-in-law, Frank Bianchi, entered into the scene of our lives at a critical time and um, where things were getting very rough. And yet God continued one way or another to supply our needs according to his riches and glory. And it always was by the spirit of the Lord. God's signature was always on it. And so this is how we've learned to live, by the tithe, by offerings. We, like you, have to eat. We, like you, have to pay our bills. We, like you, need to have a car to get to and fro. We, like you, have got to go through life. Now, God has blessed the ministry in many different ways, and he's blessed our lives personally. And how he did it, there's no formula for it. There's no understanding behind it, except that when I had a pastor over my life, I understood the tithe and I understood offerings. Now, in our generation, people have tried to dissuade people or persuade them that the tithe is no longer relevant because we're under a new covenant. Well, I never fell for that because I knew that Abraham gave tithes before there was a Mosaic law. And I knew that Abel and Cain, they gave offerings before there was ever a Mosaic law. So I knew that what was in the beginning would be at the end. And the Abrahamic covenant is something that we're still a part of with a Jesus anointing on it anyways. In other words, the Abrahamic covenant of God's grace was proclaimed. And in the covenant of Jesus Christ, a lot of the Abrahamic promises are available to the saints of God who are connected to Abraham. Galatians 3 is a great promise. So I always knew I'm not going to go for, you know, the tithe is Old Testament. The offerings are Old Testament. They are not relevant to us because we're under a new covenant, and this is how it works over there. There are people, friends of mine, dear friends, David Eels from Unleavened Bread Ministries many years ago. He had received a $1 million blessing from somebody, stepped into his ministry, gave him a million dollars, and David and people in his ministry said, well, this million-dollar blessing came, and it wasn't because of tithes and offerings. It's just people were more gracious to give to their work. And so they wound up writing a book, The Tithe That Binds, and they tried to prove in that book that the tithe no longer existed today. Well, the first chapter, it was totally, you know, you could, you could turn over another side and say, wait a second, this is not 
accurate here. This is not solid information. So I went back and I looked at it and I saw that the feast of the Lord, the feasts, the tithes, offerings, and the Sabbath day of rest all existed before the Mosaic covenant. So I concluded in my spirit that tithes and offerings are valid for today. Sabbath day rest is valid for today. And uh, the feast of the Lord are valid for today. So that was just for my personal understanding. And yet I know I'm not under the Mosaic law. I know that I'm under a new covenant, a better covenant with better promises. The better covenant and the better promises has to do with eternal life and everything else that Jesus Christ paid for on the cross, my deliverance, my sanctification, my justification, that atonement that makes a difference in my life. Whereas under the Old Testament, there was atonement, there was forgiveness, but it never eradicated the sin conscience. And so, in other words, the better covenant with the better promises are intrinsic in their value. They are spiritual. I mean, the blood of bulls and goats cannot cleanse the conscience from sin, but the blood of Jesus Christ can and does in the lives of those who believe. So, Patricia and I, in the last 28 years, have learned to live in the bounds of a covenant where God puts it into the heart of his people to give their tithe, their offerings. Sometimes when I had a pastor, I just was overwhelmed with generosity, and I was so thankful for the ministry of my pastor. I would just reach into my pocket, pull everything out, and give it to him and say, go golfing, you know, go on a vacation somewhere. And I just had this overwhelming liberty to give. I was never forced. It was never obligatory. I didn't grow up in a church where they passed the basket under your nose. We never did that. The basket was always up front. And before every service, when I was painting houses and waiting tables at night, raising my three-year-old daughter, Danielle, by myself, I would show up early on a Sunday morning before church services, and I would Saturday night, the night before, I would make sure from the week of waiting tables that I counted every single tip to the penny, and then I would give an absolute tithe off of that tip money that came in that week, along with the checks I got for painting, uh, uh, painting houses that week, I would give an exact tithe, and if it was uh, 56 cents, I'd always give it to the 60 cents, I'd always tally up, and then I would always put a little bit extra in the offering basket. There was a tithe and offering. There were baskets there. And I knew where my tithe was going. I knew my tithe was not going to a building project. I knew that God had ordained the tithe for the ministers of the altar. And my pastors were ministering in my life, and my giving to them was never a problem for me. And then that little bit extra in the offering so that when somebody would come to the church and they couldn't pay their electric bill or they needed gas, there was always extra in the offering that would be able to supply the needs of the people. And so this is the system of economics that we grew up in. Now, along the way, when I felt that overwhelming generosity, I would just reach in. I had extra. I'd say, here, pastor, go on that vacation. Go and do something wonderful It's okay. There was a time in my life where pastors were gone. We were having Bible study, and I had this overwhelming sense of 
generosity overwhelmed me again because I realized if I had not been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, I would be a drug addict dead in the gutters of L.A. somewhere or somewhere else in this country, and I get overwhelmed with the sense of my salvation, remembering there was a time in my life where I had nothing, that I was living on the streets and, 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 and just in these abandonment conditions of my soul, and I remember how Jesus Christ saved me. So there was a night that we had Bible study. I just reached into my pocket. I had a, a full, full-blown painting business. I waited tables at night. I was taking care of my daughter. And I just got to a point where, you know what, God? All this came from you. So I took the keys to my truck, and I sowed them in the offering this night. They were taking up a tithe and an offering, and I just gave them my keys. And I'm like, well, I'll find a way home. And I wanted to give my truck the most valuable thing to me. Well, the deacons were there, and they gathered around me, and they said, listen, nobody wants to give you a ride home. Take your keys back. And they gave me my truck back, and I kept the truck and wound up giving that away to a man for the painting business when I stepped into the ministry. And so there comes these overwhelming senses of gratitude, and I just want to give. And so I've done that. I've never been manipulated no, in my church. Oh, I've been in places where they, would, they locked the doors and wouldn't let you out. And I was saying, get me out of here. I'm not going to get locked in while they're just slamming and hammering everybody to get their money. In my church where I grew up under one pastor, one authority over my life in the kingdom of heaven, it never happened to me. So I hear about abuses everywhere. I hear the money problem everywhere. And it's, it's kind of a wild thing that people have been through in their lives. I didn't have that. I think the tithe, the offerings are pure. There are Bible passages that talk about our giving. And yet the, the joy of the promises that come along with our giving are, are just extremely powerful. And my life bears testimony that in the days of my giving, the days of my giving tithe, offering, and givings along the way, appreciations, and of course, you're helping the poor, you're buying people on the street a meal. I mean, that's just part of our reality. You know, taking people to the store, buying them a shirt, all of that is just part of our outgrowth. But first to the house of God. I remember, I learned that in Galatians, always to the house of faith first. Take care of your pastors, take care of the, the needs of the body, and then reach out and take care of people around and about you. So for me, it was a blessing, and I was overwhelmed, and my life has been an amazing journey. 28 years, it's like a blink of the eye, and God has never failed us. God has never let us down. At exact moments in our lives where everything was gone, like the, the widow that had her last little bit of oil, her last little bit of a, they were going to take the sticks and have their last meal. I mean, it has been like that at different times, but always at the last moment, God would come through. Our needs were met. Somebody would walk into our house. They, they'd knock on the door and said, let me in. We let them in. They'd lay some money on the table, said, God just told us we needed to give this to you out of nowhere never having told people what our needs were, what was going on. And so I know that God is good. And I could tell you story after story after story about how God, I'd be at a conference somewhere in L.A., and I could tell you exactly where it was with a family. I knew exactly the family. Patricia was gone. I was pastoring the church. 
A family wanted to go up and see these ministers of God. So we took them up there. God told me in the afternoon, I want you to take the nest egg of money that you're saving to go to Colorado because I was going to be preaching as a point man in Kremlin, Colorado, in Bill and Marcia Burns' congregation. And I had been saving money because I never just expected people to pay for my plane ticket, my hotel. My, I never expected it. So I would be saving as much as I could. I had a nest egg ready for that particular trip. God told me, travel 90 miles back down to San Diego. Get that money. When this minister comes out and preaches, lay that money down at his feet. Sow it. And so I heard it as clear as day. So I, I told my, the family I brought up there, I'll be back. I drove an hour and a half to San Diego, changed my shirt, washed my face, got my little nest egg, drove 90 miles back up to this meeting place. And around 5.30 or 6 o'clock, the man of God comes out. Everybody's cheering. I'm in the pastor section, maybe, you know, maybe less than 100 feet away from where the minister was. And at that moment, there's resonation, there's anointing, it's all making sense. I jump out of my seat, I walk down to the altar, I laid my money down there, pull it out of my pocket. That's it. I did it. I came back, I ministered that weekend. Monday morning, I get a phone call. I'm on my face at the church after dropping my daughter off at school. I, I'm laid out, I'm praying, I'm by myself at the church, the phone rings. Some gentleman calls and said, yes, I, I want to talk to the pastor of the church. I said, that's me. He said, I, I've got a few things I want to donate to your ministry. And I thought, oh, great. And Brother Mike came through the door at that time. We both went to this man's house. We're driving up this driveway with palm trees lining it in Escondido, California. The guy has got this fabulous home. He's a bachelor. We go to the, his place. We have to go get a U-Haul because he gives us, he, he says, okay, I heard he knew I was on radio. He gave me $300 for radio. He gave me a $2,000 Italian silk suit. He said, you're going to look good for that conference you're going to. Because I told him, we, we knew about, you know, in our conversation that I was going to Colorado. I was going to be preaching. So he gave me this $2,000 silk suit, Italian silk suit, said, you need to look good for what you're doing. He proceeded to give over $10,000 worth of furniture and clothing. Most of it we gave away. And then... Above all things, I used to love the barbecue, and uh, that's another whole story. He gave this brand-new $1,600 gas grill, stainless steel, barbecue, and it was just a mind-blowing reality how God was interconnected. He asked me to give my little bit, and he blessed it with an increase that was overwhelming. So that is not manipulation. That is real story. That's the real deal. And I could tell you stories that are just beyond comprehension, quite frankly. What the Lord has done to keep us without ever having to manipulate the word of God or to compromise the word of God. And I'm laying this kind of extensive foundation to what we're going to talk about today. Because there's no need to handle the word of God craftily. There's no need to try to fleece the flock with the word of God. There are principles in the word how things work. And when we trust it to the Lord, then God gives. Sometimes there's much, sometimes there's little. The Apostle Paul said, I've learned to be content with whatever state I'm in. I think that's a huge lesson. Sometimes we're not always content when we're worrying about the next day the bill's got to be paid. It's not a comfortable place. I get that. But somewhere along the line, you learn that God will take care of our needs if we're serving him faithfully and we don't have to do anything to be corrupt or deceitful or manipulative at all. I view in my life, when we minister, Patricia and I, in our church, we receive tithes and offerings. 
people give tithes and offerings. And uh, before every service, one of our brothers will get up and they'll share a little passage about giving or tithing or offering. Most of the time, they're not even talking directly about that. They just give a little teaching and then they incorporate that tithe into it. And other times it's about the tithes and the offerings. So people hear the blessing that comes along with their giving. You, you sow, you reap, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's it. I hardly ever talk about money. And yet it's, it's kind of sad because I believe that the greatest investment that anybody will ever make in this world is an investment into the kingdom of God. I believe that the payback is better than anything the world could give. I believe it's better than Wall Street. It's, there's just no end to the, there's no limit to what God can do in a person's life. And one of the great investments into the kingdom of God is that God promises in the New Testament, in the book of Corinthians, that not only will he multiply your seeds sown, but he will increase the fruits of your righteousness. Now, I mean, my God, that means money's connected to the heart, right? It's a big deal in this world. But I, I've seen where people have given, where I have given, how there's a transformation of the liberty, the freedom in the heart. He increases the fruits of our righteousness. That's a spiritual blessing. And so that's the way it works. Now, and, I, and I've done chart boards. I remember 28 years ago, I did a chart on the investments in the kingdom of God. And this one guy got really mad at me. I never did it again. I allowed his anger to stop me from talking about finances. And I just viewed, well, Lord, that must be from you. Let's not make this ministry emphasizing the money thing. So we've been doing what we're doing all these years. And again, I could tell you testimonies. I could encourage the daylights out of anybody that loves to give what, how your heart in expectation and I know people have always said, well, I want to give without expecting anything in return. And I think to myself, well, how is that possible when God says give and it shall be given unto you, shaken down, pressed together? I mean, is, I used to think, well, that's a false humility. You know, that's not, you know, you're going to, you want to give without expecting anything in return. When God says he wants to multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, you don't want that. I mean, I get the idea of I want to give out of, out, of, out of appreciation. And there are times when I told you I just throw in the pastor's you know, hand and say, here, take this. I wasn't expecting anything in return. I mean, but God did bless the tithe, the offering, the seed sown, on and on and on. But I want to share something with you today because today is the day before the Feast of Passover. And remember what I said earlier. I believe Scripture confirms tithe, Offering, Sabbath day rest, and the feast of the Lord all existed before there was a Mosaic law. And even in the book of Hebrews, it says that, uh, I think it was Levi paid uh, tithes in Abraham. Or there, I, I've got to get the exact scripture in the book of Hebrews. But all of these things existed, these four things, tithe, offering, feast days, and Sabbath. They all existed before the law of Moses. I believe they were preserved within the law of Moses. And then I believe that when Christ came and the new covenant came, they burst forth into our reality again, the liberty, the freedom to know and exercise these things. I believe we should take a Sabbath day rest. 
I believe from Friday night to Saturday night, we should be reposing and resting and spending time with God and family, and we should not go out in that bustling world and be a part of the traffic and shopping. I really believe that there should be a day of rest. But I'm not a legalist in the sense, and some people demand you have to do it from Friday to Saturday. Well, there's some people that can't do it Friday to Saturday because of how things are. And somebody would argue, well, you have to reschedule yourself. Well, sometimes that's impossible to do. But there are people that take their day of rest. They bring themselves before the Lord, and it's a Monday or a Wednesday or whatever, and they're giving God that day of rest the best they can do and the best they know how. I also believe the Feast of the Lord, they existed on the fourth day of creation, On the fourth day of creation, when God created the sun, moon, and stars, he said they were for signs and seasons. The word seasons is moed. The word moed means for appointed feast days. In other words, in the calendar of heaven, God had in mind before creation of man to put a calendar for feast days, appointed feast days. I mean, what kind of a God are we serving here? I mean, he already, before man was on the earth, already intended that the feast days would be important. And then you read Zechariah chapter 14, and you realize that during the 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ, all the people will go up from year to year to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. I mean, it's all there. It's in Zechariah 14. The Feast of the Lord will commence during the 1,000-year millennial reign. And anybody that doesn't celebrate it will have no reign. And then if they still don't celebrate it, they get crushed. Zechariah 14, read all about it. New Testament, the Apostle Paul says concerning the Feast of Passover, unleavened bread, let us therefore keep the feast. So we're not pulling things out of context. We're not handling the word of God deceitfully or craftily, okay? But there is a promise that I want you to become aware of. And our fellowship has operated according to this. And so far, so good. Remember, any Life that you have after 80 years old is a magnificent blessing from the Lord. The Bible actually says that God will give 70 years, and if by strength, 80. So when you got people living to 100, which my father-in-law did, or people living into their 90s, like Sister Dixie is, she's down in her 90s, and she's you know, still breathing and shouting and hallelujah and dancing and praising God and having faith. When you have people that are in their mid-80s or their upper 80s and they're still living, man, that's just pure blessing. That's just pure blessing. That's pure awesome. Okay, but we do believe that there will be a generation alive and remaining that is 90 years old, 100-year-old, mid-80s, that they'll be alive and remaining at the coming of the Lord and they will not die, but they'll be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. That's a promise. And why say, well, that's not us? No, no, no. We believe for stuff like that. That's good. And because life is a blessing. But we also know that if we were to die in this life, then there's a greater life ahead of us. There's eternal life in glorified bodies that never die. So we're talking about operating on this earth in our lives. How then shall we live? And how do we apply the principles of Scripture to our daily lives? And how do we live an abundant life through Jesus Christ, a quality of life that has nothing to do with the abundance of stuff, but it is a life where, where needs are met and, you know, peace and joy and love and wisdom and knowledge and doing kingdom business is a very real thing.
So today, I want to share with you out of Scripture in Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23. This message, I heard somebody else preach it maybe 15, 20 years ago, whenever it was. And it so deeply resonated with my heart. And I thought, man, I want this. And what it is, there are promises connected to the offerings for Passover, for Pentecost, and for Tabernacles. But these promises are definitely fulfilled in the new covenant. These are part of our blessing. But I love the way it points at it. And it was like a flashlight from the past just flashing on these particular promises. And so let's go there. You ready? Let's go to, now I'm going to have to open this up and I want to go right here and I want to go to Exodus chapter 23, Exodus chapter 23. And I want to start in verse 14. I'm doing something I don't do. Very often, I'm talking about money associated with tithes and offerings and feast days. So, here we go. Exodus 23, 14. And you say, that's under the law. But remember, all this stuff he's out to talk about existed before the law. So, don't worry about it. Just look at it. Three times you shall keep a feast unto me in the year. Now, the, that's the, the hogag, that's the word feast, which means to hold a feast, hold a festival, make a pilgrimage, keep a pilgrimage feast. Now, these pilgrimage feasts are the three feasts. You're going to see that in just a moment. It means to celebrate. It means to dance. It means to march in a sacred procession, to, its, to observe a festival. All right, so... This is a, and it actually gets in the definition of reeling to and fro. I mean, it's just a real celebratory time. So what a bummer. God's asking people to have a good time three times a year, right? Right. So anyways, verse 14 again. Three times you shall keep a feast unto me in the year. So every year in the economy of Israel, three times in the year, there was a particular hakag. There was a feast. A pilgrimage feast, okay? Verse 15, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. All right, so tomorrow night when the sun sets, it's Passover, the first night of Passover. The next night at sunset, which would be Sunday night, would begin the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, which is a seven-day feast. That was a time for them to keep it. All right, so you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread and that is connected with the Passover and first fruits. And then he says, you shall eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded you in the time appointed. Now, if I look up the word time appointed right there, that phrase, time appointed, I click on it. It's the Hebrew number 4150, and it's the Moed. The Moed is found in first chapter of Genesis Verse 14, on the fourth day of creation that God created the sun, moon, and stars for signs and seasons, the word seasons is moed. So in moed, when you look at it, it means appointed place, appointed time, a meeting, a sacred season, a set feast, an appointed season, okay? And so it gives into all this definition 
about the feast, the appointed feast of the Lord. So when he says that you shall keep, okay, you'll have unleavened bread seven days as I commanded thee in the time appointed. So you're going to, there's an appointed time every year to celebrate this pilgrimage feast. It's of the month Abib, which is also Nisan. So Abib and Nisan are the same first month of the year, which you and I are in right now. Okay, on March 14th, it was the first day of the first month of the brand new year, 5781 in the Hebrew calendar. All right, so we're coming into appointed seasons that God had set in his calendar before man was ever on the earth, preserved within the law, and now something to be celebrated throughout the millennium. We are in rehearsal right now. We, we celebrate the Feast of the Lord. So, for in it, for this month of Abib, you came out from Egypt. And obviously, this is talking about the night of Passover, the shedding of the blood, the people came, coming out of Egypt into the wilderness. And then listen to what it says in the latter part of verse 15. He wants you to keep an appointed feast, and none shall appear before me empty. In other words, God was saying to the economy of Israel, to the Israelites, when you celebrate these set appointed feast times, nobody shows up to my feast. Remember, these are not the Jews' feast. These are not the church's feast. These are the Lord's feast. These are the feasts of the Lord. So he's saying, when you come to my feast, Israel, do not appear before me empty. In other words, I want you to bring a gift. I want you to bring an offering. This is what God was saying to Israel in their economy, their financial, economic economy, their, their agricultural economy. We'll get into all of that. We'll break it down. And then he says in verse 16, also the feast of harvest, which was, we know it as Pentecost, which is the feast of the first fruits of your labors. So during the spring feast, they're sowing the seed, the barley, and all the, the little uh, grain, okay? And then 50 days later, there's a first fruits of their labor. So from Passover to Pentecost, that 50-day span of time, they've already got their seed in the ground and they're offering. And then 50 days later, they should be looking for some evidence that what they have sown, they're beginning to reap. They get a first fruit. And the first fruit always speaks of what? A harvest to come. Now, you know, Jesus Christ is our first fruits in the spiritual setting. He is the first fruits of the resurrection, and he is speaking to a harvest of people that will be part of the resurrection as well. And we'll get to that. And we're going to do that most likely tonight. We're going to get into the spiritual aspects of this. But anyways, now you have the feast, the harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in your field. Okay, so 50 days later. They come, there's another offering that's given to that. And again, it's all waved, it's a sheave offering, et cetera, et cetera. Then he says, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when you have gathered in your labors out of the field. So in the economy of God to the Israelite nation, there was an agricultural re reality. And it went from feast to feast where from the beginning of the year, they would bring an offering, God would send the rain, their seed that they sowed in the ground, as well as their offering they gave to the Lord, would begin to produce. Fifty days later, they would have evidence, they would take the first fruits of what they have labored for, and they would give an offering to that, 
the next four months, they would be reaping all summer long. Their harvest would come in. And then by the time we get to the, the third feast, the major feast, tabernacles or ingathering, the people would gather out of their field. They would bring the corn, the oil, the wine. They would come for a seven-day festivity at the end of the year. They would bring their offerings. They would bring all their gifts. And these offerings for Passover, Shavuot, Tabernacles, that's when the windows of heaven begin to open and God pours out a blessing you cannot contain. So, but in the agricultural economy, you begin with sowing and then there's a little bit of time and you have your first reaping and then you're sowing again and then you have four months of harvest. It talks about the agricultural economy and they depended on God to send the rain to their fields. They depended on God. They didn't have what we have to make water come out of a rock, you know? They depended on God. So it was very important to the Israelis to make sure that they got their offerings, particularly their Passover offering, because the Passover offering was the, as you'll see in a moment, the first of the first fruits, the very beginning, the very chiefest, the very best. And because that offering, the Passover offering, set the stage for everything else to follow. And when in the book of Numbers, chapter 9 or 10, I forget now, I think it's 9, there were people that didn't make it to the uh, Passover. They didn't get their offering, and they're, they're wild about Moses saying, what do we do? We didn't get our offering in. And God gave them a second Passover in the second month, on the 14th day of the month, so that they can participate as long as they were, there was a good reason for them not to have participated. And so this is all biblical. It's all scriptural. We can go through the scriptures in it. Let's go on a little further. Now, nobody's coming before the Lord empty. He's talking about the three years or the, or the three feasts within the year. And then we we'll want to get to verse 17. Exodus 23, 17. I'm just laying groundwork for what I'm about to share. Some of you have never heard this before, but check it out. Three times in the year... All your males shall appear before the Lord God. Now, we know that when Jesus Christ went to his Passover at the age of 12, his mother Mary was with him. So it's not excluded to males. It was just all males, 20 years and older, were to present themselves before the Lord. But that did not exclude the family. Go back to Elkna. Remember Elkna and Hannah? They would go up to the feast year to year, and the whole family went. And so this is not an exclusion of the family or females. It's just the males were to present themselves three times in a year because they're the head of the family. They're the ones that are really presenting the offerings. They're the ones that are doing things, okay? They shall appear before the Lord. Verse 18, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. Okay, so he's giving them some instruction on how they were to give their offerings. And now verse 19. The first of the first fruits. That's the best of the best. That's the beginning of the beginning. That's the chief. That's the rosh. As a matter of fact, if I look up the word first, it is the reshith, and it talks about the chief, the choice part. Okay? The choice part. The principal thing. So, he says in verse 19, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord, your God. 
Now, what did God do with these offerings? God gave them to the ministers. God gave them to the priests who served at the altar. This is how the economy of God took care of the ministers of the altar. It was God's tithe. It was God's offering, but in God's dimension, he doesn't need money, but for his gospel to be preached and for the church to prosper, he gives that money to the ministers of the altar that their needs might be met. That's as simple as it is, and it's probably more intensified in some cases, but here's the kicker. You ready? He says, you shall not see the kid in his mother's milk. Final instruction about how to present your offering. And there's a spiritual reality how we should present our offerings to the Lord as well. Even a tithe and an offering should never become boring. It should never become commonplace. I mean, there's an attitude of the heart that should be in our giving. But here's what I've learned. I heard this sermon 15 years ago, and it blew me away. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. So here it is. Now that he's talked about the tithe, he's talking about the offerings in the, in the feast, specifically the feast offerings, now he's getting into the blessing, the blessing of these offerings. And it says in verse 20, Exodus 23:20, 20, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Let's look at that. One of the first blessings that God announces after obedience to his feast and the offerings, he's, he's, he's laying everything out. Now he's talking about, I'm going to send an angel and that angel is going to go before you. Now, you need to personalize this as well as a corporate anointing for the body of Christ, for your local assembly, your local ecclesia. I'm going to send an angel before you. He's going to keep you in the way. In other words, this angel is going to make sure that you stay in the way, and he's going to bring you into the place which I have prepared, which tells us that the end of this year, that we're just beginning in the Hebrew economy right now, that there's a prepared place for you. There's something that God has already prepared for you to walk into by the time of the end of this year. And I don't know what it is. Maybe a new assignment, maybe a new job, maybe a new relationship, maybe who knows what God has prepared for you. Well, we know that he's already prepared eternal habitations for us. John 14, I have gone to prepare a place for you. So, but this is the yearly economy of heaven. This is the economy of heaven from year to year. So I'm going to send an angel. He's going to go before you. He's going to keep you in the way. He's going to bring you into the place which I have prepared. And then 21 says, beware of him, this angel. Obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. All right, so the people are into this covenant right now with God, as you'll see in a little bit. This is all covenant that's happening here. And God is sending them an angel. He's saying, watch, don't, don't mess with this angel. Obey, be obedient. Just, just treat with respect and honor and, and value and all that. And then 22, but if you shall indeed obey his voice, okay, 
and do all that I speak. Now, God just spoke, right, about the feast of the Lord. If you do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries. Those are promises. There's something connected to the feast of the Lord that God had in his mind before there was ever a law that will exist during the millennial reign that God loves these feasts. And they're his feast, and he invites us to come up and celebrate his feast three times in the year. And when we do, and when we honor him, and when we do it the way he said, don't show up empty, bring your offerings. When we do it with a heart, a right attitude, because when Israel was in sin, they tried to keep the feast. And God said, I'm sick and tired of your, your feast, he called them. You're not doing my feast. So it's, an, it's always about a heart attitude. And then here he says, I'm going to be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Do you think you're going to have some enemies in the day ahead? Do you think you're going to have some adversaries in the days that lie ahead? Do you think that there's a prepared place for you that God wants to keep you on the straight and narrow path to make sure you get to it? I mean, is that pretty good blessing right there? Is that not a pretty decent promise from the Father's heart that God's going to keep us in the way? He's going to send an angel before us, whether it's a pastor, whether it's the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, whatever it is. God's going to keep you in the right way, keep you on the straight path, get you to where he wants you to be, where he's prepared. Now he's talking about dealing with your enemies and your adversaries. And then, verse 23, he says, For my angel shall go before you and bring you in unto the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. In other words, my angel's going to bring you into your promised land. And when, you're gonna, when you get to your prepared place, the promises that God has for you, there are ites there. But God says when we honor him, he's going to deal with those ites. He's going to cut them off. You're going to possess in their place. That could be a spiritual reality, a, a work reality, a family reality, someplace the enemy has been occupying where you belong. Okay, so this is a great promise again. And then he says in verse 24, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do after their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. So to the nation of Israel, God was taking them into the promised land when he honored and obeyed him. He was bringing them in, and he was going to cut their stuff, and they were not supposed to make a league with them. They were not to bow to their images, learn their ways. They were to utterly overthrow their enemies. Okay, That's what Joshua was all about in that time. How does this work out for you and I? How does this work out for your local assembly? Well, in verse 25, you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall, here's a promise, and he, you'll serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your bread, your food supply, and your water, your water supply, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. Wow, what a promise. Now, you know that one of the things we need to prepare for the last days is food and water. We don't want to go into the wilderness and be sick. We don't want to be sick right now in our bodies, right? So the promise is, I'm going to bless your bread. I'm going to bless your water. I'm going to bless your body and health. I'm going to take sickness away from the midst of you. It's going to be gone. What a promise connected to the Passover offering. 
the harvest offering, the, the Feast of Tabernacles offering, connected to these offerings during the feast days. There are these kind of promises, very specific. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, he also says in verse 26, there shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in your land. The number of your days I will fulfill. No premature death, no ruination of your harvest, no devastation, no destruction. In other words, everything involving your young, nothing being barren in your land, everything being fruitful, living out your days. These are incredible promises along with. The angel going before you, keeping you in the way, bringing you to your destined place, your prepared place. God be an enemy to your enemy, an adversary to your adversaries. God taking care of your bread supply, your water supply. God taking sickness and disease away from the midst of you. I mean, these are incredible promises. And then, 27, I will send my fear before you. And will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs unto you. Now, that's the kind of end-time army I'm talking about. It's amazing. I will send hornets before you and will drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before you. God's going to drive your enemies that have been occupying in your place that you belong. He's going to drive them out. Maybe, and I've always used this example, maybe you're working at McDonald's and you're serving hamburgers. I hope not, but anyways, if you were, and there's a, you're doing a greater job than the manager is, but the manager's there making all the big bucks. I hope not, okay, but the reality is, God, you're supposed to be there. In the economy of God for your life, you're supposed to be that manager. God will move that manager out. He will make a way for you to get where you're supposed to be. See, I look at these promises and I say, these are God's promises. This is what God is saying to his people. And then we sit back and say, well, that's Old Testament. And yet if you've listened to what I've said for the last hour, this existed before there was ever an Old Testament known as the Mosaic Law the the law of Moses. Everybody thinks, well, that's under the law of Moses. Now we're in the New Testament. And so these things don't apply. That's not true. They existed before there was a law, the law of Moses. These were the Torah, the laws, the instructions of God at the beginning of time. This is what he was intending for Cain and Abel. This is what he was intending for creation. He wants to meet with his people three times in the year. And he specifically designs these times. Well, One of these feast days begins tomorrow night at the setting of the sun. Here in northwest Arkansas, we're going to be gathering together up on the ark, and we're going to be celebrating at 6 o'clock this evening, and we're going to be going through all these things. Why? Because if this doesn't excite us, then what does? If this doesn't inspire us, then what does? And then you get into these scriptures in the New Testament about, you know, uh, one man respects one day above another and another man, then every day is alike. Uh, we don't deal with full moons and feast days and Colossians. There's a scripture reference to that. And so people take these scriptures out of their passages 
and they build up an understanding that we just don't do that. And guess what? You don't have to. You absolutely do not have to. If you are not interested in how this particular economy works, then you don't need to celebrate the Feast of the Lord. If you could look into the New Testament and see a better way that, that God has prescribed within the context of his feasts, his tithes, his offerings, and the offerings are always connected to the Feast of the Lord. But if you could find a better way, then by all means, please instruct us on what the better way is. Okay? But this is God's economy. And when we mix it with faith, then not only should we reap the promises, but remember, the better covenant is the intrinsic value of a transformation and an increase of the fruits of our righteousness. Don't ever forget that. So when we talk about money, we're not handling the word of God craftily or deceitfully. We're not manipulating. We're not compromising the word to get what we want. This is the word of God, and it either works or it doesn't work. And the testimony of the lives of the people including my own, that have operated in this, it works. We give our offerings. We do it. You know, and here's, here's a confusing thing. Well, are we supposed to kill a lamb and 50 sheep and 40 oxen? And do we have to, you know, bake the cakes? No, because, again, the intrinsic value of these feasts in our economy today, we don't go around killing animals. We're in the new covenant. So what offerings do we bring to the Lord? Well, people bring money as an offering because that is the chief thing, isn't it? And the first of the first fruits is something the best. I've known people that have actually given gold because gold is the best that they have. Some people have given silver. And they said, here, I'm giving this to the Lord. And they laid the silver down. Some people, they give cars away, refrigerators, but it's not their leftover stuff. It's the best that they have to offer. And it's something that you should be very specific about and you should be thoughtful about. What offering am I going to give to the Lord? And when they present that offering to the priest, that offering is now waived and now comes the blessing that should multiply your offering, open the window of heaven, bring forth the blessing, and increase the fruits of our righteousness. I mean, what's wrong with that plan? And the only thing is, do we believe it? Well, I remember when God told me, take your nest egg, go, go lay it at the feet of that man. Man, I did it, and I can't, the, the blessings that went on for there, you want me to tell you the rest of that story? You wouldn't believe it. Maybe you would. Do you know, I'm going to tell you the rest of my story. I told you that it was at a time in my life where a friend of mine, Richard Cordero, he and I used to love barbecuing. And everywhere we went, we had our little $20 hibachi barbecues. We put chicken and a hot dog on it, and we, we thought we were the kings. We thought we were barbecue kings. We loved it. And so one day, Patricia and I were walking into a hardware store, in Rancho Bernardo, California. She was preparing to take a trip to Chicago. We walked through this door into the hardware store, and in the middle of the aisle, when you walk in, was a brand-new George Foreman barbecue gas grill, $249. There were angels on either side blowing trumpets. Lights were shining. I looked at it. I said, oh, my gosh, look at that. Patricia looked, and she said, you need that. I said, you're right. I need that. 
And so we didn't get it, though, because it was $249, and we didn't have $249 to get that barbecue. But, man, oh, man, George Foreman, gas grill, there it was. So we let it go, and it was that week praying, and I had gone to that conference. I took my nest egg. I laid it at the altar. I came back the following Monday. The guy brought us to his house, and he gave me that barbecue, the $1,600 stainless steel gas grill. God, Only God could have done that. But then I went on my journey to Colorado, and I was the point man, and that means I spoke first to open the pathways, because we have a spearhead ministry. That's what's ordained and prophetic over our lives, spearhead, the tip of the spear, go in there. After that conference, this man called me to his house. I had my two brothers with me, Michael and Paul. We went to his house. We sat down. He set before me this little container about this big, and he gave me 20 ounces of pure gold. I didn't know what it was. I was like, hey, look at that, 20, 20, you know. And he said, this is just the beginning of what God's going to do in your life. I see a canopy over your life, and God's poking a hole through it. Take this. First thing I did, I gave a coin to Paul. I gave a coin to Michael. We went down to Denver, saw Brother John, gave him a coin. I went back home giving coins. I didn't know what I was doing. At that time, gold was about $300 an ounce. Well, through time. It got up to over $2,000 an ounce. Man, if I had if I'd have known the value of that gold coin, that would have been like 60 grand right now. Whoa. I didn't know, but that's what God gave because that little bit that I gave my nest egg, important to me, that little bit God met with this continual overflowing, but it wasn't just the gold or the barbecue. It was the intrinsic heartbeat that, wow, God, you know I love to barbecue. I passed up the $249 one. You gave me a $1,600 barbecue brand new from a guy that used it one time? Only God could do that. And what does that do? That increases the fruits of my righteousness, my worship, my praise, my thanksgiving to God, that he knows my needs and my desires. And the way he does it is absolutely amazing. So my encouragement is if you have not begun the journey of tithing, well, you should tithe. And you should tithe on everything that you get in. You should give God the very first not the leftovers after the government has taken your money. You should give God the first. If you get a $300 check, you should absolutely, be, and, and that's before they take out the taxes, you should give God $30 of that. That belongs to the Lord. He gets the first. That's an attitude of the heart. And then give Egypt and Babylon what they want, right? Well, when it comes to offering, it's always that little extra. And then during the feast days, special offerings as they go through the year. And you should get on the track of doing so. Put God to the test. Do you know that the only time in scripture that God ever told anybody, test me in this, is when it came to the tithes and the offerings in Malachi chapter three. Now, I've learned a pretty big lesson in my life. You know, I'd love to have a fast food mentality. Okay, I'm giving my offering today. I expect my hamburger tomorrow, right now. Well, it's seed, time, and harvest. It comes when God says. Sometimes the soil's so rich. 
because you've already been sowing into it faithfully throughout the year, giving tithes, offerings, just giving, blessing. Your soil is so rich that when you get to these places of offerings and you're giving God the very best that you have, that the windows of heaven should burst and God will break things in the spirit and release blessings. But it's not a casual thing. These offerings, these are the offerings and these are the feasts of the Lord. You have to try it for yourself. And either you are going to come into agreement with the word of God and work the system and see the economic system. Now, in a time when the world system is going to collapse or the economy of the world is going to collapse, those who are connected and understand the system of God, his economic system, there should always be enough. There should always be blessing because God will make a way to get to you what you need while at the same time bringing you to your destined place, your prepared place, being an enemy to your enemy, an adversary to your adversary, blessing your food and water and taking sickness and disease from you and all the other promises connected to the offerings of the Lord. So what we do now, I'm going to stop right there. Okay. It is the night before Passover. In the economy of God, we go back 3,500 years. We see a nation in a house of bondage. It was time for them to pack their bags. It was time for them to go out. It was the time where God told them to take the blood of the lamb and put it upon the doorpost of their homes. And when the angel of death would pass over their home and see the blood, it would pass over that home. The angel of death would see the blood and it would pass over. This is so rich the blood of our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, his blood over the doorpost of our hearts and our homes and our property and over all that God has given you in your life, you can, by faith, apply that blood, speak that blood over, receive that blood in the value of your faith, in the intrinsic parts of your spirit, knowing this blood has meaning. This blood is speaking on your behalf, not guilty. It is the blood that removes the stain of reproach and condemnation and guilt. Yes, Passover is all about the blood of Jesus Christ. And we should know the promises we should look at the Word of God and say, wow, look what the blood did back there. Oh, look at the blood in the New Testament, how it cleanses your conscience from sin. And we should apply, by faith, all those promises. That's why we read the Word, because how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the Word of God. That's how faith comes in the promises of God, to believe God. When we're shallow in the word of God, when we're not in the word and, and our faith isn't really growing because all we're hearing are messages that are really only tending to our lustful, fleshly desire, and we're not looking to that word to bring and produce within us that new nature, that divine character, that, that transformation of the heart, you know, because everything with us in the first place is spiritual, but we are spirit, soul, and body. And God does not ignore any part of our existence. He takes care of our needs physically, solically, spiritually. He's the God of our entire being. 
But the ultimate reality is that we're going into the realm of spirit. And spirit is an altogether different realm beyond physical, tangible things. In this world, it's necessary. In the world to come, it's not going to mean a thing. So we want to apply these promises to every area. How does Passover, how do these blessings apply? How do I give an offering of myself? You know, the attitude in which you give an offering or I give an offering is the spiritual aspect. The condition of your heart when you give, is it primarily to bless God? Are you joyfully giving it? Are you a cheerful giver? Are you giving out of your lack? Are you giving out of your abundance? How are you giving? All of that determines the spiritual part of your offering. We could say all day long, well, we're to present ourselves a living sacrifice, or we are to offer ourselves to God. Yes, but what does that mean? It means the condition of my life in doing what God has asked me to do. Forgive your brother. How am I going to do that? With a grudge? Or am I going to joyfully say, Lord, you've asked me to do that. I'm going to offer myself right now to your purpose. I forgive. I release. I'm not holding on to this. I'm going to bless my brother. I'm not going to stand at a distance. I'm going to embrace because I really forgive. I mean, it's an attitude of the heart. That's the spiritual offering. So when you're going to give a physical blessing with a spiritual attitude that primarily is the first thing that God's looking at, because he'll look at the offering But like Cain, he didn't even respect his offering because his heart was not after Father God's heart. Have you ever noticed or asked why didn't God respect Cain's offering? Well, because Abel knew something about God's heart when he gave a sacrifice that required blood. Abel gave of the firstlings of his sheep which means he sacrificed and blood was shed, which was connected to Father God's heart in the plan of eternal redemption. So Abel was connected to the redemption plan of God, whereas Abel just brought some fruit from the ground, and really that had nothing to do with God's economy. So God didn't even respect it, but it came because the attitude of the heart was not consistent with where God is. So spiritually, we need to know what is consistent with God's heart. How am I giving my offerings? How am I going to do this? And this is just how it works. You know, I just don't think people should walk up and throw a $5 bill in the offering. Now, if there's somebody that has $5 and it's so precious to them, have prayed and they come and give that five, that's, Jesus said they gave more than the people that gave out of their abundance because she gave out of her lack. And I know people, they give And it's not easy for them to give. And I want to pray. I want to ask God, because only he could do it. I want to ask God to bless the people that give their tithes, their offerings, their giving. I want to ask God that this would be a season of magnificent breakthrough, that everything that has been held back and dammed up will be broken, and that supply will come to their lives in health, in their food, their water, in their relationships, in their finances, that God will bring a miraculous season of blessing to his people, just like he did on that first Passover when the Egyptians gave everything they had and loaded them up and sent them out. May God supernaturally cause the wealth of the wicked 
to be stored up and sent to the righteous so that you can go out in the times that we're living in, having all your needs met according to his riches and glory, including paying off all your debts, owing no man nothing. Now that's what I want for you. Why would I want you to be in bondage? God doesn't want you in bondage. God wants you to experience his kingdom and how it operates. And I'm telling you that there's a system within tithes and offerings and giving. There is a system of operation that God is in control of that the devil can't do anything about. In fact, God says with the tithes and the offerings, I will rebuke the devourer. So there's promises everywhere. These things are true. So having said that, let's see. I thought by now, yes, we lost half the congregation. <laughs> I figured it would be that. The numbers would drop because people, they, to, them, to them, this is so difficult to hear. So difficult. Now, if I'm talking about the end of the world and I'm talking about, you know, who shot who and what's coming down the pike, you know, you, you'll get your numbers soaring. You talk about the economy of God, it cuts it right in half. How sad. How sad it is. I wonder if people really want to know how the kingdom works. Yep, even in the chat room, slow as could be in the chat room, but praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Let's see what our friends are saying. If you have a question or a comment to what you heard today, how did you hear it? How did you hear? What did you hear? If you would like to comment on that, the number to call is 818-369-0326. 818-369-0326. And press 1 on your dial pad. All right, and we'll take it, and then we'll go through the chat rooms. I got our first calling. I'm laughing because it's my beloved wife, Patricia Joy Xavier, calling in. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing very well. I've been going through my papers to clean up things that needed to be put in order for a long time. And as you're talking about the tithe and the offering and the giving during the time of Passover, this comes into my hand as the next paper I was going to put in order. And it says this, believe this or not, it says the devouring spirit the devouring spirit drew out through rebellion all the nutritions in the soil and depleted it. What am I saying here? And I looked at it again. And what it was referring to was the giving, the tithe and the offering, that the devouring spirit would come and it would come through rebellion. It would draw out to rebellion, and all the nutrients in the soil become depleted, and it bears no fruit. And that is a type and shadow of what you were representing for those who are givers and tithers and bring their offerings. They are never without because the soil of their heart keeps replenishing 
And that is one aspect of it. And then the windows of heaven are open and abundance comes forth of what was put into the soil of the heart and what was put into the soil of the ground, meaning the tithe and the offering unto the Lord as a type and shadow that you brought forth. So I thought that was amazing, and I just wanted to tell everyone. Well, thank you. What a great confirmation. God bless you. God bless your heart, Patricia Joy Xavier. All right, my dear lady, I'll see you in just a moment. Let me take our next call this morning, coming in from 479-366. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Good morning. Um, well, yes, good morning I, to I, you, I, birthday girl. Good this morning. is Carla, who <laughs> celebrated her birthday yesterday. And hallelujah. How are you today? That was so much fun. <laughs> I'm, I am encouraged, and I agree with uh, what is being said about the um, the giving, because God does look at the heart. All together looks at the heart. And the giving, um, I'm not proud to say it, but where, you know, the times that I've given, it was just half-heartedly. It was just half-hearted. It wasn't, and... I heard another message about the tithe and the offering, and it was, you know, um, uh, oh, Holy Spirit, help me remember. Um, It was about, it was like this inward aha moment where it was like, Lord, I trust you. So I had to really, before I was giving, really had a purpose in my heart to go, Lord, I trust you. Even in my giving, I, I trust you. And you give it, you sow it, and it's so as you're led by the Holy Spirit, keep preaching on the tithe and the offering because the body of Christ does need to hear it if we want to not and not lack in all the, of how God wants to bless us, not only uh, spiritually but physically. And is now a good time to share oh, what was put on my heart for New Wine Ministry? Sure, absolutely. Go for is it. That, okay. Um, this is for New Wine Ministry, and this is Loved Through Fire. Love showed up with a prevailing smile to put their hands to the plow when no one was looking. Loved Through Fire. Love showed up when all convenience went bye-bye. Love stood to say, what can I do? Loved Through Fire. Love showed up and time it. I'm sorry, let me start over. Love showed up time and time again before the Father to hear their heart cries for another when their own lives cry, Daddy, I need you. Their love moved beyond themselves, loved through fire. Love shows up in and through prayer and deliverance, a soul captured, then to see an ongoing release, loved loved through fire. Love shows up simply because it is not us but him, to see his wondrous working power in and through a body, Glycia, that gladly lays their lives down and loves through fire. New Wine Ministry, his love cluster. And I just want to just thank you for allowing me to share that. And um, we the, and the proof is in the fruit. And I just want to say, New Wine Ministry, I'm so thankful to be a part of this ministry. Amen. And, well, uh, beautiful. 
Thank you so, so much for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. <laughs> All right. God bless Bye-bye. you too. All right, and happy birthday thank once you. again to Carla. Absolutely amazing. That's you know, that's poetic. That's just poetic. And uh, okay, the calls are down. If you want to call in for any purpose, 818-369-0326. Let me go over to our chat room and say good morning to Kevin or Ken Wagner, Pastor Ken. Good morning to all the saints and happy Passover. That's right. We're coming into that season. Uh, Also want to say good morning to Brother Mark down in Mexico who says, biblical money is gold and silver. Our money is paper, a printed piece of paper. Ludicrous. Hmm. But everybody uses it. All right, Kevin Hauger, blessed morning on this Passover to all of Jesus' believers and disciples. Remember, Passover begins tomorrow night at the setting of the sun. This is our preview moment, the day before. Um, Also, Mark says, this joker, um, Kenneth, well, I don't want to say, Kenneth Copeland, net worth $760 million is on there. Okay, Uh, Kevin Hauger, blessed morning on this Passover. Okay, Uh, Sieta, Sieta, all right. Overhopper is with us this morning. Good morning, Sieta. Nice to see you on the chat room. Uh, Kevin Hauger, it is not money blessed by God, maybe in the beginning, not now, Copeland and others. Uh, not sure exactly what that means. I know that people use money all day long, and God does bless their giving with it. Uh, Charlotte Goach, good morning. Uh, we have a correct over there. Melissa Fletcher, good morning to you. And again, uh, Joyce, good morning to Joyce. God bless you. Kathy Bruns says, in Proverbs 11.4, the Bible says, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. What is God saying to us? Thank God for understanding of his word. Amen to that. Amen. Well, that's why with the giving, he increases the fruits of our righteousness along with that. That's a good one. David Ellison, good morning. Dennis Sossaman, good morning. Janet Ruth Ryder, preach it, pastor. You got it. Kenneth Bruns, I have a testimony about a barbecue grill. It taught me a God-given lesson. Love to hear that, Ken. (laughs) Also, uh, Joyce says, I'm still here. Mark, I'm still here. Charlotte, I'm here too. Brenda, good morning. Brenda Torville, good morning, Pastor Vincent. Good morning, Brenda Torville. Uh, She says, hi, Patricia. Thank you for the prayers for my granddaughter, Shelby. Shelby is the healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Mark, the law of the tithe begins at Deuteronomy. Actually, the law of the tithe begins with Abraham giving tithes to Melchizedek. That's the truth. All right, uh, Sieta. Such a good word. Thank you for being so true to the Lord. Well, thank you, Sieta. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. We want to stay in the right path today. Uh, You know what I love about today? You know what I love about the feasts? They are a major distraction from the world around us. It's almost like God is saying, hello, hello. Hey, hey, I know you're out there worrying about the Egyptian empire. Hello. I know you're, you've been in bondage. Hello. I know you're hearing what's going on, but hello, here I am. Woohoo! Here I am. Can we talk? I've got a feast that I want to share with you. Can I get your attention? I've got a plan for you. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Hallelujah. All right. Friends, it's 1030. I think we've had our time. I said what I said. You pray. You be judicial. You bring it before the Lord. But don't let 
years of skepticism rob you of the joy of the truth concerning money and finances. It's all interconnected. Be blessed. Hey, Monday, I've got to get this out there. Monday, I'm doing a special program at 1 o'clock Central Standard Time. I will be interviewing a young lady by the name of Sonia who has a ministry to the Muslim community. She has a tremendous amount of information to share with the body of Christ about the Islamic reality that's going on in the world today and what's coming to the shores of America. So Monday, we're normally not on the air, but we will be at 1 o'clock Central Standard Time. So that's 11 o'clock in California, and that's 2 o'clock in New York when you divide it that way, okay? And so Colorado would be obviously 12 o'clock. So 1 o'clock Central Standard Time right here on Omega Radio. Until then, have a super blessed day. Have a wonderful Pesach. Have a wonderful Passover celebration. I pray that your weekend would be blessed and that you would enjoy the presence of the Lord as we talk about his son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God bless you. Shalom. Right now on Omega Radio, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's a roundtable discussion with Patricia Joy Xavier and her roundtable friends. God bless.